The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited for the word, always excited for the word. And I encourage note-taking. If you have the ability to write some things down, I'd like for you to do that. Now, we do that for a couple of reasons. One, to stay engaged and to see to it that we're actually connected with what's being spoken. But then two, to revisit those things. When we revisit those things in our own time, it gives an opportunity for the spirit to move in our personal lives, not just our life as a member of the church here. So if you're writing things down, I want to encourage you to write down a few things as we get into the word. These are things that we can look forward to as we pursue things in the scripture this morning together. Uh, One, we're going to find out what happens when we follow Jesus. What happens when we follow Jesus? Now, it's important for us to know that because we're going to be able to evaluate whether or not we're following Jesus. And I think that's something that we ought to be checking on uh, more than just occasionally. We want to make sure that we're on the right path. What happens when we follow Jesus? Two, we're going to find out uh, how to prove that you're a child of God. I'm going to use the scripture to do that, so we're going to let the scripture do all the talking, but how to prove that you're a child of God. We're going to find that in the scripture here. And then a third thing that we're going to find is what every Christian needs to have happen, okay? Now, in this room right now, how many of us would say, I'm a Christian? I mean, I know my hand goes up, hands go up. You don't have to raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, I don't think that you're not. I want to know that, that we're aware of what's being spoken here. I mean, we're here because we're celebrating God. Some of us are here because we need to see God do things. But most of us here in this room are here because we're Christians and we're wanting to see God do things in our lives, raise us up and continue to grow us. There's something that needs to happen in the life of every Christian. We're going to see what that is in order to make sure that that's taken place in our lives. And I think it's a really important thing that is easily overlooked if we're not careful. So I mentioned before we're going to find out what happens uh, when we follow Jesus. We're going to find that out immediately. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 12 here. The Gospel of John chapter 8. Remember what we're looking for is what happens when we follow Jesus. We see that here in the Gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 12. It reads like this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Now, it's amazing scripture. I mean, it's got a lot of weight to it and and some poetry applied to it that you could easily get lost in. But if we just look at it and simplify it and see that there's a cause and effect here, it's really important for us to apply that cause and effect to our life, to measure our life against it. Jesus is making a very clear statement here that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. I mean... I'm not asking about sin or anything. I mean literally. How many of you have ever walked in the dark? Okay, I mean, I've got kids, so on occasion I'll wake up and go check on them and things like that. And and you walk through the house and it's dark, right? And, And you step on their toys and it hurts and you find out you're a Christian because you don't cuss or yell or scream. But, you know, you realize you passed the test. But walking in the dark is really problematic, 
It's problematic because you don't know where you're going. I mean, that's not very profound, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that walking in darkness is going to provide issues. It's going to make for challenges that are easily remedied if you just do something simple. In my house, it's turn on the light. And as soon as the light comes on, all of the things that provide challenges or issues, all of the things that make for problems are exposed and can easily be avoided. Now, Jesus is making this as a promise, and it's an amazing promise. I mean, as we hear this promise, something inside of us ought to say yes. He's saying, if you'll follow me, you're never going to walk in the dark. The lights aren't going to be out where you're stumbling around hoping that you don't fall into a trap. But there's going to be light that illuminates your path, that uncovers and reveals all the things that would be issues, would be challenges would be problems. And you can navigate around those things and through those things successfully. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. And I love that is even as Jesus would speak, he would speak of us following him. You see that throughout the scripture. I mean, we're the sheep of his pasture. He's the good shepherd. And he's out in front leading, and it lines up perfectly with his life, his life's example. That he wouldn't just give us instruction from on high, but that he would come and be the example. Do the things that he would call us to do. So that as we do them, we're not breaking new ground or pioneering things for the kingdom. Rather, we're following him. And upon following him, he promises light. Now, light is an amazing thing. I mean, without light, it's impossible for us to see a city transformed or, or a revival in a, a region, an area, a church, or a land. I mean, we really ought to prioritize light in our life. We could have prayer meeting upon prayer meeting or event upon event trying to see a, a land transformed. But until we have light, it's just not going to happen. I'll give you a passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read verses 14 through 16. It's Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. I mean, isn't that interesting? You could just stop right there and think, I am the light of the world. Now, I remember back in John 9, 5 when Jesus said he was the light of the world. But here he is saying that you are the light of the world. Now, the reason why you're the light of the world is because Jesus is in you as a Christian. You're the light of the world, a city set upon a hill. It cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and then hides it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Now then, here's the part that I really want us to focus on. It's verse 16. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine in such a way that men may see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I have a heart's desire to see the city glorifying God. But if I approach that, if I try to accomplish that, through means that aren't the shining of the light that God has ignited inside of me, it's not going to happen. 
There's not multiple options to see people glorifying God. There's just this one simple instruction. And it involves you. It involves me. See to it that your light shines in such a way that people see it. And that when they see it, they don't glorify you, but they glorify God. We've got to have the light ignited in each one of us and live out our lives in such a way that people can see it. So here's the question. I mean, do people see my Christianity? Do people see your Christianity? I'm not asking for anyone to answer out loud, but that's really a convicting question when I ask it to myself. I mean, it's easy to see my Christianity when I wear this shirt, which you might recognize, I wear it a lot, and this jacket, which is actually the same jacket I wore last week, and these slacks, and these shoes. It's easy to see my Christianity on Sunday morning when I say, turn in your Bibles to. But the question is, do people see my Christianity in everyday life? And that question causes me to pause, to evaluate everyday life. Has Christianity become simply going to church for me? Or is my life a string of decisions and choices that let light shine in such a way that people see it and are drawn to God? And this is the call that not just sits upon me, but it sits upon everyone that would call upon the name of Jesus and be a believer, a Christian. Our call is to let our light shine in such a way that men see it and glorify God. So really and truly, revival is not in the program. It's not in the building or the location. And I love Pastor Jared. I think no one leads worship quite like Pastor Jared. He's got an incredible anointing. I think I'm a pretty decent preacher. But I don't think that we can just say revival hinges upon our ability to sustain that, to continue to sing well and play well and preach well. But revival is conditional upon every single one of us, as believers, every single one of us letting the light of God shine through our lives. And when we see that, we see people drawn to God and released to glorify His name. I want to see that happen. So I want to examine this light that's so necessary. Now, we talked about light actually a few weeks ago. Some of you may remember, and, and I love that we take notes, and sometimes that's in a notebook. You could even thumb back a few pages and see it. But a few weeks ago when we talked about light, we, we turned off the lighting in the room here, and I just held up a simple lighter with one flame, and of course everyone in the room could see it. And the question was, why can you see it? Why could you see that? And the wheels turn, and, and you know the thoughts are being processed. We have an answer in the scripture. You find that answer in John chapter 1 verse 5, that light shines into the darkness and darkness can't overcome it. The reason why you could see that light is because it's in a state of overcoming the darkness. Now you and I are sent out as light into the world. Men are supposed to see the light that shines from our lives, be drawn to God and glorify God. That light is visible because it's overcoming darkness. Our life is meant to be those believers, a, a people who aren't sub subjected to or put into slavery and bondage to darkness, but we're the people that are overcoming darkness. And it's that example that people see and they're drawn to. To see a person who's liberated, to see a person who's free, to see a person who's prospering. This is to see hope if you're the one who's in bondage. If you're the one who's suffering. And our life is meant to be an example 
I grow weary of talking people into Christianity. I believe when light is shining, people are coming and saying, as the scripture says, what must I do to be saved? And wouldn't we like a dose of that? I would. I don't think that God has sent Jesus to the cross and raised Him from the grave and poured out the Holy Ghost to fulfill prophecy and gone to all of these links so that I could win debates for Jesus. I think He's done it so that I can overcome darkness. So that you can overcome darkness. And so that as we overcome darkness, something happens in this land. I remember once my father had a dog. It was a cocker spaniel and a poodle mix. It was a cute little puppy. Had a lot of energy. It was a great dog until something happened. I remember standing there next to my father outside and he was grilling, preparing food for us to eat. And he enjoyed doing it and I enjoyed eating it, so it was a really good combination. So it worked well. And as he was grilling, a, a little piece fell off and he, he picked it up with the tongs that he was cooking with and he held it over the dog and the dog just sat there and looked up at him. And I remember saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And he said, why? And he dropped it. And it hit that dog in the face and fell on the ground. And the dog... sniffed it, and then ate it. I don't even think the dog chewed it. And then that dog looked up at him with eyes like I'd never seen before that just said, more. <laughs> but you see, something happened, and that animal became so wild. Every time we would go outside, it would stand next to the grill and just jump. And a poodle and a cocker spaniel can jump about that high. I mean, the thing is just like it's got, you know, pogo sticks for legs. And it never gets tired. And it just jumps. And ju they had to build a fence to keep that dog away from the grill. They literally had to build a fence. You know what happened? I mean, this is what happened. An appetite was introduced. That dog had no issues at all until an appetite was introduced. And then that appetite demanded satisfaction. It required it. And because it couldn't tame its appetites, it had to be disciplined. It had to be fenced off. It had to be pushed out from where it once enjoyed fellowship. And then it had to be kicked out. Sounds kind of familiar, right? For its own protection. But there's something incredible. Have you ever heard a passage of scripture that sounds like this? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay, it sounds like a, a, a passage of scripture for Jesus' Chinese restaurant, right? I mean, seriously. It's an odd passage when you just take it at face value, but think about what it's saying. God is interested in giving us a taste to change our appetites. I mean, I want you to think about sin for a second. Now, some of you have heard this example before, and that's fine. But think about sin. Sin is a, an issue worldwide. Now, we know why sin is an issue. 
Even though forgiveness is available, sin makes love grow cold, and we're called to love one another. There should not be sin tolerated in the church. We've got to be those who expose it, who deal with it in spiritual ways, delivering people from the bondage and the affliction. But sin's worldwide. You want to know what I found is worldwide as well? Coca-Cola. Oh, it is. I mean, I've been in the middle of, of the desert and seen a guy with a camel and he had a cell phone and a Coca-Cola. So I want us to think about something that we can wrap our mind around. I mean, think about Coca-Cola for a second. Now then, here's your mission, okay? Your mission is to rid the world of Coca-Cola. I mean, the church's mission has been to purge the world of, of, of sinful behaviors and corruption. And so we've, we've gone about that as crusaders, almost like the prohibition days of smashing barrels and, and breaking bottles. Think about it. how would you get rid of Coca-Cola? I mean, even if we took on that old mentality and we created a righteous mob that went into every store and took all the Coca-Cola out into the parking lot and smashed the cans and then sang our songs, you know what would happen that night? You'd hear a truck backing up to the dock. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Shells would be restocked by morning. So then how do you get rid of Coca-Cola? Remember, that's just our example for sin. It's worldwide. It's everywhere. How do you get rid of it? I mean, you can't just go in and clear the shelves. It'll just be restocked. There's only one way to get rid of it. Mm, that's a good try. Let's try this. Make a better product. You want to know what God's doing with you and with me? He's making a better product. He's making a better product. Our lives are meant to be lives so rich with His blessing. So Calm by the peace that surpasses all understanding. So free from fear and anxiety by the presence of His perfect love that casts out fear, regardless of situation or circumstance. Our lives are meant to stand out as so absolutely different that people are meant to be drawn to that and say, hey, I'd like a taste of that. Because what I'm drinking over here is bitter. And if I can get a sip of that, I don't think I'll ever want this again. And I'll just want all I can handle of what you got. God's making a better product in us in order to change the way the world views and, and seeks and desires to change appetites. Now, for me and for you, that involves light. We've got to see that light released from our lives because according to the passage of Scripture that we just read out of Matthew, that's how people see. That's how they're drawn to God. And then that's how they eventually glorify God. It's a recipe for evangelism. And light does that because it overcomes darkness. This world is filled with darkness. Now there's something important I want to read out of Ephesians to you. We're going to move through it quickly because it's not necessarily the point. But Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, it reads like this. You were formerly darkness. But now you are light 
I mean, I want to keep reading, but I want to stop there. Did you hear what it said? It didn't say you formerly walked in darkness, but now you walk in light. It didn't say you formerly carried darkness, but now you carry light. It says you were. Your identity. No matter how you dressed it. No matter how much perfume you put on it. No matter what you did to cover it up. It was who you were. It was who I was. You were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Bearing the fruit of light which consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. And trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. But instead even expose them. For when they're exposed by light, everything that becomes visible by the light becomes light. I mean, that's like your testimony. The things that used to be nasty and in darkness and in shadow in me have been exposed by the light of Jesus Christ. And now those things are light themselves. I could sit and talk to the one in bondage to alcohol and addiction because that has been exposed in my life by the light of God. And now it is light. It's part of my testimony. I can testify that God's bigger than booze. That's a really elementary way to put it, but you get what I'm saying. So we need light. I mean, are we all in agreement that we need light? I mean, how are we going to see revival? How will people see God, be drawn to Him, and then ultimately stop living lives of selfishness and live lives that glorify God if they don't see light? So I want us to to put ourselves to the test, the light test, okay? It's just a little passage of scripture that reveals information that if we take that information and we look at it in the right perspective, we can see that we can examine our lives to see if light is prevailing in us. I want to read the passage to you, and then we'll just talk about it for a second. I told you before we're going to find out how to prove that you're a child of God. That was the second thing we were looking for, how to prove you're a child of God. We're going to find it right here. Are you ready? Philippians chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 14. Do all things. I mean, I want to stop there. How many is all? It's everything, right? I mean, this is absolute. It's complete. There's no exception. There's no but, 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 no buts. Do all things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that. Can I hear so that from you? Okay, see, so that. Remember, so that's always really important. What you're having revealed here is is cause and effect. Do this, get this result. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be a blameless, innocent child of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you will appear, that means they see you, as light in the world. What an awesome passage of Scripture. I mean, it's two verses. But isn't that incredible? That one thing that's listed there at the front, doing all things without grumbling and complaining, has the power to reveal, to prove. The word prove is used. To give evidence, to establish, to confirm, or to affirm that we're children of God, functioning and operating in such a way 
That we're light in the world. That light that's necessary for men to see it and be drawn to God and worship and celebrate, glorify His name. So without spending a lot of time there, do you see the test? I mean, if I read that passage of Scripture and I know I want to be light, I want to be the light that stands out against the darkness. I want to be the light that's innocent, that's born of God. I want to be the light that men can see and glorify God. I want to be that light. I have to cross over that so that. The question is, do I? Do I live my life without grumbling and complaining? My wife is looking at me very intently. Would you like to answer that? I was going to say, no, I don't. Is that? I'll catch myself in frustration, grumbling, complaining. And I'm realizing something as I grow in God and as I read the scripture that, that God's spirit is sent to help us to see these things. The word that's used in the scripture is conviction. Because he loves us so much, he wants to show us when we begin to, to step off so that we don't end up way off down the line, but, but to keep us correct on a path, the path that's our life, the purpose that he has for you. But there's a need inside of me to have things done the way I think they ought to be done. And when they don't appear to be done the way I think they ought to be done, that's immediately when I begin to complain and grumble. Complaints and grumbles ought to be the equivalent to the believer as alarm bells, sirens, me-noo, 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 alert, 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 there's a problem here. You're not seeing this, that maybe God's hand is involved in what's going on. All you're seeing is you don't like it. And it's going to put your light out. People aren't going to see the light of Jesus Christ and be drawn to God and glorified. God won't be glorified when you're preserving yourself or seeking your own agenda. The grumbling and the complaining needs to be the equivalent to alarm bells that cause us to pause and reflect. To ask ourselves, am I doing the will of God? Or am I doing my own will? Why am I frustrated about what's going on? Why does this bother me? And should it bother me? Because I know that I have an instruction and a call to do all things without grumbling and complaining. It gets really quiet when you share that part of the message. Did you hear that? I mean, don't, don't answer this out loud. You don't have to raise your hands. But do you think you have a problem with grumbling and complaining? Well, you said you didn't have to answer out loud. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> uh, uh, so I want to be filled up with light. If I'm failing that test, if I'm finding out things are, are wearing on me, they're getting to me. You know, I was doing good for a long time and it was enduring, but now I'm getting tired, I'm getting weak, and things are starting to get under my skin. I'm, I'm griping a lot, I'm complaining a lot. Now, there's something we can, we can do. I mean, that's the test, right? So that's the, the alarm bells, you know. Like if the smoke alarm went off and, and you were able to see the smoke, you wouldn't say, well, that's okay. The smoke alarm will handle it. No, the smoke alarm already did its job. It's just alerting you that there is an issue. It's giving you a warning, right? So the test is just the test. 
And what do you do after? Let's say the, the alarm does go off. What do we do? I mean, if it were a fire, we would go to the fire extinguisher and, and we would extinguish the fire. We would eliminate the problem. Well, Jesus gives us instruction. If we're finding out that we're short on light, if we're failing that test and we're realizing, you know what, you're getting loose with your grumbling and your complaining, we ought to examine where light comes, the source. Jesus talks about light, and he speaks about it in a very interesting and specific way. If you want to take it down for your notes, I encourage that. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 33 is where I want to begin. There's amazingly interesting passages of Scripture that are going to capture our minds, and I do want you to read this in your own time because I don't know that what God's going to speak to you fully is going to be communicated right here, right now. I think individually he has something for us. But I want to read it. Beginning in verse 33. Jesus again is talking about the lighting of a lamp. He says, nobody after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar or under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see all the light. And then he goes on to say this. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it's bad, referring to the eye, when the eye is not clear, the body is full of darkness. He goes on to say in verse 36, If therefore the whole body is full of life, full of light, excuse me, with no dark part in it. It will be wholly illuminated as the lamp illumines you with its rays. Now when he talks about the lamp, he's referring to the lamp that was used as an example earlier. Just like that light bulb. If we were to turn on that light bulb, it's not covered up or hidden, but its rays are released to illuminate this room. And Jesus speaks about us, right? We're meant to be light. We're meant to be people who let our light shine in such a way that men see it and glorify God who's in heaven. Well, Jesus has lit the fire inside of me. The light is inside of me. But if I find that I'm grumbling and complaining, if I'm realizing that light is growing dim, according to what Jesus says here in Luke, I need to check my eye. Because he says the eye is the, the lamp of the body. If the eye is clean, then the body is full of light. You're not going to have a light issue. You're not going to be short on light. No shortages, no deficiencies. You're going to have plenty of light to let it shine. Let men be drawn to God. Let men glorify Him. But when the alarms go off and I hear the, the grumbling and complaining, I'm realizing there's a deficit inside of me. I want to check something. I want to check my eye. Do you think that it's any coincidence that the majority of immoral bondages go through the eye? That a lot of our seductions and advertising and covetousness pass through the eye. I mean, I'm really not a shopper. If you can't tell that by my limited wardrobe, you, you know, it shows in other ways. I don't really enjoy going out and shopping. But then there are times I'll see something and think, I, I want that. I never wanted it until I saw it. It passed through my eye. Keeping our eye clean is important. 
We can keep our eye clean by being careful what we look at. I think that's a very important thing. We ought to have really excellent disciplines in those things. We ought to have very strong convictions and very tight filters. But there's something that I think needs to happen. You know, I told you there's something I believe needs to happen in the life of every believer. And I want to get into that. I want to ask you to turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Now, the book of Mark has got a, a lot of testimony of Jesus ministering and casting out devils and, and healing the sick. It, it's, the, it's the shorter of the Gospels, but it's packed full of wonderful testimony. And when we read these things, we need to understand that these things apply to us from two perspectives. One, everything that Jesus gives, I need. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's not a single thing that Jesus gives that I don't need. And then two, everything that Jesus does, I'm called to do. Everything that Jesus does, you're called to do. As we read these things, they're meant to be an example from both of those perspectives. As Jesus stood and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's called me to preach good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted, to set free those who are afflicted and relieve those who are oppressed and proclaim the favor of God. All of those things, that whole list of things that the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him to do, I want done to me. One of the things in that list is to open the eyes of the blind. Well, technically, I have my eyesight, so should I say that one doesn't apply to me? I'll, I need all the other ones, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I passed my last eye exam, and so I don't need that one. I don't think so. Everything that Jesus came to do, I want it done. I want it done in my life, and I want it accomplished in your lives. So we see something here in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Now you're coming off of a wonderful celebration, I mean, a miraculous thing. Remember, we talked about spiritual gifts last week, that everything you see Jesus do in the Scripture is just one or a combination of the same spiritual gifts that we have through the Holy Ghost. He just multiplied bread and, and, and fed thousands of people. That would have been the effecting of miracles. And as they're traveling, they come to a place, and the man who needs sight is brought to Jesus. The scripture reads like this, beginning in verse 22. And they brought a blind man to Jesus, and they implored him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes, that's weird, isn't it? And laying hands on him, he asked the man, do you see anything? The man looked up and he said this, I see men like trees walking around. Kind of a strange answer, isn't it? I see men like trees walking around. And then again, Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes. 
And he looked intently. And he was restored. And then hear these last words very clearly. And then began to see everything clearly. And then began to see everything clearly. I remember as a young believer, I was born again in a, in a jail cell in Austin, Texas. I never did long stretches of time. I always had money and bailed out and never did anything. You know, I mean, I did terrible things, but, but you know, it, it was a, I was there because I was incredibly intoxicated and smashed into a car and ran from police, and, and I was this close to being on cops. And, and, you know, it would have been just a mess. But I remember being born again in that, that cell, and that's a story for another time. But just a short time after that, I, I was on fire for Jesus because I'd been set free from things that I couldn't shake no matter how hard I tried. I mean, I hated being a drunk. It was miserable, and I was destroying my life. I hated my life, and I would have been happy to have just, you know... Uh, that's, those, are, those are dark days. But then all of a sudden, all of that changed. I was free from the things that I used to. I, I couldn't get free even for one night to save my life. And, and, and I loved my life. And I couldn't get the, the people that I resented and hated to be around. Now I was annoying and, and couldn't stay away from them. And it was just this incredible transformation. And I remember... It was an exciting time in my life, and even now, when I look back on it, I can stir excitement in me because I can remember that liberty and that freedom. I'd never felt anything like it. And the, the church that I had grown up in, even though I hadn't been born up again, I, I still grew up in church because my, my parents attended there. The church that I grew up in was having a, a special service. They had special services about the, the, about the, the new year. They had a name for them. They called them Zion services. And, and it was about a week of, of services and fasting. And, and, you know, sometimes it wasn't fasting, but they felt a stirring to celebrate. And so, so people ate, and it was feasting, you know. They were always really good about seeking God. How, what is it supposed to be? What, what are we supposed to do? How do we consecrate this year to you? And, and this was the first time that I really ever gave a flip about that. And I was so excited. And I remember driving in, and I was farming 90 miles away. I, I was in agriculture, and I would drive in for all of these nightly services. And I finally drove into one one night and was sitting kind of towards the back because it was a, a packed house. And, and the pastor's son, who I'd never seen in my life touch the microphone, came up during the worship service, and he stood on the platform, and, and he said, I, I really don't do this. Uh, this is my, my, my I'm, I'm not my father, uh, but, but something happened, and, and, and while I was at the bank in the drive-thru, God spoke to me, and he said that he's going to heal people's eyes tonight. And, and so, does anyone here wear glasses or contacts? Well, I mean, God, it was about 80% of the people in the room, you know. And so nobody knew what to do because normally they would have had individuals, you know, laying hands on people. So they, they just said, well, just, just try everyone to, if you, if you are, if you believe that God is, is calling you 
to receive this, you know, come forward and, and the altar was packed and the rows were packed. And, and you got to understand something. I'm a, I'm a newly born again, still on fire, not afraid to throw an elbow kind of Christian at this time. So I am fighting my way to the front and kicking people out of the way. And, and the whole time I'm doing it, I'm pulling out my contact lenses and throwing them down on the ground. Because ever since I was a kid, I grew up and I was told my eyesight was terrible and was only going to get worse. And I had glasses so thick. That, like you had to like hold my head up with a brace, you know, and I kept falling over. Teachers thought I'd fall asleep at my desk, and he's like, no, I just can't hold my head up that long, ma'am. I'm sorry. I mean, some of that's a bit of a stretch, but not much. And so I'm, I'm, I finally get as far as I can get without, without really brutalizing people, and, and I'm, I'm pressing in, and I'm, I don't even know why, but I kind of remember standing on my tippy toes like that, like, like there's something to see, you know. And because there were so many people there, they, they, they prayed a corporate prayer, you know, Father, we, we thank you for this word and your, your heart for your people to see them liberated from their ailments and, and let your word be confirmed in each one of them that their eyes would be open to see. And, and I mean, they, they, they did those things and, and then the service had to continue so they dismissed everyone back to their seat. And at this point, I, I turn around and I'm thinking, anybody see my contacts? You know, watch your step because there's a couple of contacts down there that I obviously still need. And I was genuinely disappointed, you know, I mean a little frustrated. So I, I know that the power of God is real. I mean, I know it's real. You set me free from, I mean, just, just days ago I could count the days when you liberated me from the things that were destroying my life and they're gone. So I know that this is no difficult task for you. And I remember I made my way back to my seat and I, I was just puzzled. You know, and as the worship continued, the words on the screen were blurry because I didn't have my contacts anymore. And, and so I went home and, and life, you know, continued, but I continued to pray about that. Father, I mean, what's going on? And here's what I would hear, son. I'm healing your eyes. And I remember having a bit of a, a back and forth, right? Which is good. God's really patient. I think he enjoys playing a little ping pong with you. I mean, I got news for you. He's going to win, right? Son, I'm healing your eyes. Yeah, I know. That's what they called for. Son, I'm healing your eyes. I understand that. That's why I went down there. Son, I'm healing your eyes. Yeah, I get that. That's why I took my contacts out and threw them down because I have the faith that you're going to do these things. Son, I'm healing your eyes. And then there was just a moment when all of my moves were executed and I had no tricks left in my bag. I'm done. Where I just realized, Father, you're healing my eyes. And something happened. I began to see everything differently. Things that I used to not be bothered by seeing, I was now bothered by. To sit and watch a movie where somebody gets blown up or shot, you know, used to, I would sit there and eat popcorn, and now I, I, it just bothers me. 
I'm not meant to enjoy that. That's not meant to be entertaining. To sit and watch people on screen or in advertisements in what is, is obviously inappropriate used to, I thought, oh, it's just the culture, and now it, it bothers me. It's hard for me to watch the Dallas Cowboys play because every 10 minutes there's an inappropriate commercial break. And I look back and I realize something happened there. A fulfillment to these words, son, I'm healing your eyes. And a few months after that, I remember going to the eye doctor for my scheduled exam. Scheduled exam. And we're sitting there behind the little device, you know, uh, this one or this one. This one or this one. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And then they do that thing where they're like, hold your eye open and then, you know, and you're like, oh, God. Yeah, I hate that one. I don't feel very tough when they do that one. And I wish they could do them both at the same time because then you got to do the other one and you know what's coming. You're like, ah. But I remember sitting there and going through all of the exam and the doctor just very nonchalantly because he didn't realize how big of a deal it would be for me just pushed back on his little seat and rolled and turned and wrote on his prescription pad and he said, you got perfect vision. I said, what? He said, yeah, well, your right eye is a little better than perfect. It's definitely your stronger eye, but you got perfect vision. And I remember just saying, are you sure? And he said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you get older, you know, I mean, that might change a little bit. But right now, yeah, you just tested out perfect. I said, doctor, I've never had perfect vision in my life. He said, well, you do now. And I believe something happened that night. I believe a process was initiated, but there was a priority to this process. Something that was more important than what I can see here on the earth. God was healing my eyes. He was introducing a new standard of conviction. So that I could be a, not just a carrier of His light, but release His light. That it would illuminate the house that I'm in the land that I walk in, that people could be drawn to it, be drawn to God and glorify His name. He was healing my eyes so that my whole body could be full of light. And when Jesus took this man and led him outside of the city and spit and laid hands on him and said, tell me what you see. And he said, I see men walking around like trees. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 55, verse 12. Compares men to trees, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Psalm 1, verse 3. Compares a man to a tree. Blessed is the man who walks in the path of the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted beside the river. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus compares men to trees when he says a tree will be known by its fruit. Isaiah 61 verse 3 declares that those who are found in the Lord will be called oaks of righteousness. This situation, this thing that we see in Mark chapter 8 is not just a difficult healing session for Jesus. There's no such thing. But Jesus did something first with this man. He healed the eyes of his spirit. 
so that he would see as God sees. So that as he would look around, he would see men as trees. The eyes of his spirit man opened up so that the scripture would make sense and an understanding would be released to him. And then God healed his eyes physically. What a wonderful thing. And for us, we can become could become so consumed with our our physical ailments or our, our physical challenges that we don't stop to ask, is there a spiritual side of this? Is there something that Jesus came to do when he declared the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because is there something on that list that is yet to happen in my life that needs to happen in my life so that I can be a believer that draws men to God, that lets light shine through their life in such a way that men see it and glorify their Father who's in heaven? I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we close. I told you the third thing that we're going to find is what every Christian needs to have happen. Something that needs to happen in the life of every believer. And I don't think that this is something that has to happen when you're first born again. I think you could have been a Christian all your life. And in your final moments, this could happen. But it still needs to happen. We need to see this take place in each one of us to see the church function and operate as God has designed and called it to. I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. What every Christian needs to have happen. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. For this reason, I too, now this is Paul who's writing, the Apostle Paul, having heard of the faith in Lord Jesus Christ that exists among you and your love for all of the saints, I don't stop ceasing to give thanks for you. And I make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And this is really the point of His prayer that we see here in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. So that. Can you say so that? So that. The eyes of your heart being enlightened produces the following effect so that you'll know the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. I want to pause there to let you read that, but I want to Break it down and paraphrase it. I mean, for me, and I mean, this is a confession, right? He, he writes that, and it's a little complicated for me. But if we can simplify it, we won't change the meaning of it. But we can make it a little easier to grasp. Paul is saying, I'm praying that God would do this. And who is he talking to? Unbelievers or believers? He's talking to Christians. He's writing to the church. These people, their names recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're, they're doing stuff that's awesome. 
He's saying, you're doing great stuff and, and I'm seeing this and so you're always on my mind and I keep praying that God would do this for you. This needs to be my prayer for you. It needs to be your prayer for each other and for me. God, will you open the eyes of our understanding and lighten the eyes of our spirit man And let that have this result, that we would come into an awareness, an understanding of the inheritance that we have in the kingdom of God and the power that you've poured out upon us through the Holy Ghost. That's the same thing Paul wrote, just wording it a little different. I mean, what is the inheritance Paul's praying that our eyes would be open spiritually so that we could have an understanding of our call to operate and function in the inheritance that is Jesus Christ. I mean, what did Jesus Christ inherit? And I know the wheels are turning and I'm not wanting to quiz you, but I do want you to think. Just think, what did he inherit? The scripture tells us, and, and there's a really wonderful prophetic picture painted for us in Daniel. That one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is pre presented before the Ancient of Days. That's the Father. And as Jesus is presented before the Ancient of Days, what's given to Him, what's granted to Him, is a kingdom that could never be shaken. And what Paul is writing here is concerning that kingdom. That for us as believers, he's praying, I pray that your eyes would be open. That you would see what has actually happened on your behalf. That you would see that you function and operate and share in a kingdom authority. And that you would also see the power that God's placed in your life. Those two things there that I know I want to have a deep understanding of and I desire for you to have a deep understanding of so that we can function and operate just like Jesus, the body of Christ on the earth today. One is authority. Two is power. God's called us to do great things. But those great things become difficult to accomplish without authority and without power. Now authority and power are interesting things and I don't want to have another teaching that begins, but I want you to think about something. I want you to understand that God has called you and anointed you to do the work of Jesus Christ on the earth right here and right now. To uphold His Word. To carry out His will. Now it's not a perfect example, but it's an example that can help us. Consider the city of Abilene. The city of Abilene would say, I want to deputize this officer to go and see to it that our will is carried out and that our ways are kept. That officer would be given two things, authority and power. 
Now, you and I may have a different perspective on these things, but where do you see the authority? Well, if I'm thinking about that officer, all the authority is in his badge. And when I think about that power, all of that power is strapped to his hip. It's in his, his sidearm. But for you and for me, as believers, we're called to take dominion over the earth, to do just like Jesus said he was sent to do, to tear down the works of the devil and to establish the kingdom of God. The authority that we walk in is the name of Jesus. When Jesus stepped out of the tomb and stood before the disciples, he declared to them this, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. When we operate in the name of Jesus, we operate in the full authority of the kingdom of heaven. And then he would say this. He would give a commission and he would say, go into all of the world, making disciples, to teach people the word of God, to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He would give this commission, but then he would say, but wait, wait. Go to Jerusalem first and wait for power. See, when we operate with only authority but no power, nothing gets done. And when we operate with no authority and only power, it gets very tyrannical. But when we function and operate with our eyes open to what we've received through Jesus Christ, the authority that is His name, the power that He's bestowed upon us by the Holy Spirit. We have a way to function and operate just like Jesus. To fulfill the call that God's placed upon each one of us to see the works of the devil torn down and His kingdom established. And for me and for you, it happens with the opening of our eyes. Just like Paul would pray, I pray that your eyes would be open that there would be an understanding of what it is that Jesus has accomplished for you. Not just so that you would gather together, but so that you would understand that you are the carriers of the power and the authority of God to take dominion over the earth, to tear down the works of the devil, and to establish the kingdom of heaven. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.